Chapter 26 of Our Western Birds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Larry Wilson. Our Western Birds by Elizabeth and Joseph Grinnell. The Anna Hummingbird. When you are near the shrubbery about your home, or in the river bottoms and arroyos, and you hear a humming or whizzing sound, stand stock still and wait. You will see a glint of lilac crimson and golden green, with a shimmer of dusky wings, and that is the male Anna Hummer. He may alight close to you on a twig as small as a hatpin, and preen himself and listen and doze off to sleep. Suddenly he will open his eyes at a sound you did not hear, turn his beautiful head, and dart off into the sky. You may watch him until he is the size of a fly far in the blue, when without notice he will dart down and then whirl in circles above your head and trip east and west, zigzag in mid-air, and then disappear in the bush. If you wait a while longer, he will go through the same performance, and you may catch sight of his lady-love sitting demurely on a bough. It was for her he was showing off so beautifully. She has no sparkling gems or scales on her head and throat like her mate. Just old green she is above, with whitish-gray beneath, but with the very same slender black beak and feet and clear black eye. She is accustomed to the antics of her lover and pays little heed to him. He will see her take a nap while he is gone into the sky to turn somersaults on the down trip. These little birds, not more than three inches and a half in length, are among our best and dearest. They are fearless, especially if we avoid sudden movements, and will not fly even though we touch the twig on which they are sitting. One may take a handful of flowers, nasturtiums or verbenas, and walk very slowly about the grounds, or sit quietly down, and the hummers will come and sip the nectar, fanning one's face with their gauzy wings. At nesting time the male is nowhere to be seen. He has gone to the foothills or somewhere else to study botany among the wild flowers. The little mother bird does not care, and she goes on alone with the family affairs. The nests are frequently very low, as near the ground as two or three feet, but more commonly in a tree. They like the sycamores by running streams. If you examine a sycamore leaf, you will find the underside covered with wool, as if it were a sheep's back. This wool the hummer gathers to weave into her nest. Besides this wool, she uses spider web and lichens and furs from the weeds. When it is completed, the nest looks exactly like the branch on which it is built, so that it takes a sharp eye to discover a hummer's nest. But sycamore leaves with wool on them are not to be found in midwinter, when the hummers first begin to nest. It is only in midsummer or late spring that you find a nest made of wool. In winter, the hummer finds other material and always plenty of spider web. Our cypress hedges are Anna's storehouse for spider webs. You see the little transparent glistening patches all over the hedges on a foggy morning. Anna sees them too and flies to one and all, gathering her beak full without once standing on her feet. If the tiny spiders see their enemy, they run back into their parlors behind the outer leaves and keep as still as mice. Should they not run fast enough, Hummer will make a breakfast on them. It used to be supposed that Hummers eat nothing but nectar from flowers, but it is well known now that hummingbirds cannot live on nectar alone. 
they must have insect food. Garden spiders, too small for other people to catch sight of, are their special favorites. Little gnats that dance about in the air, and which you cannot see unless you stand in exactly the right light, are Hummer's supper. If you make yourself known to the mother in quiet ways, never stirring about quickly where she is nesting, she will give you all her secrets. It will pay you to watch an hour at a time without speaking to anyone. You will notice that as soon as the nest is about as deep as a blue gum blossom cover or an acorn saucer, the first egg will be laid. Next morning, another. And these two are the proper number of eggs for any hummer. Never any more. As she sits, you will see the mother fly away to the hedges, often in the warm hours of the day, and bring back web and lichens. With these, she builds the nest higher and larger around the eggs, until it is the right size. In ten days, you will see the young are hatched in the nest by the way the mother stands up and arranges something beneath her breast, gently with her beak. But do not be in haste to look, but wait until she leaves it for a minute. Then peep in and say, oh, oh. What you see is not so very much bigger than a couple of capital O's, and they are black and bare. They move the least bit. They may possibly make a cry that only the mother's ear can hear, for she returns at once and settles down above her darlings, not minding you right in front of her. She has learned by this time that you wouldn't harm the nest. You will keep on watching every minute you can spare, and will notice that for a week the little hummers are fed as often as every fifteen or twenty minutes. After that, longer times between meals will answer. The mother places her beak in the throat of the little ones, exactly as the linnets and finches do, and gives the food warm from her own breast. At first the young are too weak to lift their heads, and the mother is seen to turn their beaks with their own, until they are in a position to take their meal. But the young have not much of a beak to begin with. You will notice that they are only pointed lips but they grow until, in a week, you think they look quite like hummingbirds' beaks. There's something about these strange slender black bills which you will never see for yourself, and so you must be told. If you watch a hummer on a bough, napping, you will see it yawn when it wakes and put out its little black tongue beyond the beak. Now the tongue and the beak together make a very long spoon or tube which is dipped into flower cups. You wonder, while you see the long tongue, what the bird does with it when her mouth is shut. Sure, she curls it up around the back of the skull when she isn't using it. You have seen the tongue of some of the moths curl up under the chin like a watch spring when they are not at their meals. It would take pretty good eyes to see that the tongue of the hummer is a double-barreled tube, but such it really is. Should you offer honey to the bird, she could not take it. It would be too thick. Nectar is not honey. It is thin like water, but very sweet. Once we found a boy with a little hummingbird in his hand. He refused to tell us where he obtained it, and so we could not give it back to the mother. We mixed honey and milk together and fed it with a little eyedropper, drop by drop. Next day we placed it on the nest of another hummer, and she adopted it and brought it up very tenderly as if it were her own. Hummingbirds seem to be loved by the other birds in our grounds. They are not disturbed nor driven away. They nest with us every year in midwinter. When it storms, we cover the nest with parasols or cloth, and the mother seems to understand. It is said that the hummingbird can be frightened to death if caught, 
We never tried to catch them in the garden. Once a male flew in at the window and persisted in flying about the ceiling. We could only catch it with a broom very gently. When we took it up, it lay on its back as if dead. We took it outdoors and it opened one eye. Then as quick as a flash, it flew away. Some birds and many insects and animals do play dead. It has been said that when a man is attacked by wild animals like tigers, he is safe if he too plays possum. So the hummingbird possesses the instinct of playing possum for good reasons. But this is only when they have not been tamed at all. Those birds which come to know us in the garden allow us to touch them, or even to break the twig on which they sit and carry it away. But if we touch them, it is ever so lightly. We do not grasp them. That would make them afraid and spoil the fun of having them so trustful. Hummingbirds do not thrive in confinement. They are never seen on the ground. At nesting time the mother comes to a pile of old slacked lime and plaster, and eats it, supporting herself by her wings. The tiny feet are unable to walk or to stand on a flat surface. If window boxes are fitted to schoolroom windows, and nasturtiums are allowed to bloom in them, the hummingbirds will come and make themselves at home. City houses can have these window plants, and so the beautiful hummers may be seen every day. We have known them to drink from a saucer of sweetened water placed in the window. End of chapter 26